We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Loving Couples on October 24th, 1980. It was written by Martin Donovan, directed by Jack Smite, and released by 20th Century Fox. The production was lucky enough to be granted permission to shoot for five days at the Marion Davies estate off Coldwater Canyon for a fee of $60,000 plus additional security charges. Jeez. What? That's where the, the benefit happened. Oh, that seems unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. But they needed it to be like a super cool mansion and Marion Davies makes sense. I guess, but there's no super cool places that are less expensive. They go to Hotel not. Coronado. <laughs> yeah. Just have it at the Hotel Coronado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Multiple critics praised Shirley MacLaine's charismatic performance, question mark? Uh, okay. We start the film with, honestly, the most horrendous opening title sequence we've had all year. It's like Mission Impossible, where they just keep showing you all the stuff from the movie yeah. ahead of time. And it's, it's just like a TV budget level graphics we have going on. Yeah, it's a half-assed Maurice Binder ripoff, <laughs> like checkerboard thing with character faces filling the squares, but never lining up exactly to the grid that we're looking at. <laughs> and then suddenly there's like this painting of hands touching under the title that just looks like a placeholder stock photo. Yeah. I was already pissed off at the end of this. Not to mention that, like Richard said, all the pictures in this whole sequence come from scenes later in the film. So we're getting all these glimpses of the story in advance. The actual movie starts with Dr. Evelyn Kirby riding a horse along a road. A sports car blasts by and the driver, Stephen Collins, as realtor Greg Plunkett, is so distracted by her beauty that he gives a big wave and then flips his car off the side of the road. Dr. Kirby attends to him, stripping off his clothes when he objects, and she explains that she is a doctor. He asks how his balls are doing, and she says everything is where it's supposed to be, but she takes off her shirt to tie off the injury and stop the bleeding. She leaves to get him help and advises him not to move, so as she walks away, he rolls over on his side to lean on an elbow and pose seductively with his pants undone and say, Hey lady, you're my kind of doctor. Thanks. <laughs> this guy this is like the first time that in the movie uh, many times later that i feel like he's very zap brannigan <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say it's it's very lionel hutz or zap brannigan um smile as he might they have no chemistry and despite only being 13 years apart in age she is not a believable love interest for this character and she also dresses to accentuate her age so she seems like mid 50s ish even though she's only 45 in this movie i mean i think that we establish later that he maybe have a th- has a thing, thing for older, for older women, yeah, mm-hmm. or just any women. He yeah. seems to be a, a, a serial uh, dater creep. <laughs> but I think he's going harder after her than he is after other people, which is weird. Yeah, yeah. And he also seems like he wants to stay with her more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he he has infidelities, but spoiler alert. But uh, he he feels bad about it. He's really trying to make it work. Yeah. When she gets home that night, she moves around the house watering their forest of houseplants. 
when Prudence, their cook, comes out of the kitchen and she comments on how late her husband is. Evelyn says, Oh, Prudence, I think I smell something burning. Is it dinner or you? Because she's just awful. She's an awful person. I mean, super charismatic, though. (laughs) Husband, Dr. Walter Kirby, as played by James Coburn, enters and explains the myriad of operations he was roped into today, including an emergency appendectomy on a state senator. She tells him about the guy who flipped his car like it's an everyday thing and he doesn't bat an eye. And then somebody drove a sports car off the road and it took me a while to find an ambulance. Really? Was he hurt badly? I don't think so. Not really. No signs of shock. No internal bleeding. Internal I put bleeding? Him in the house. Now that's a very tricky thing. You better keep an eye on him. Apparently forgetting that his wife is also a doctor. I mean, his reaction here is... I, I, I think it's weird. And I, I feel like we're trying to establish that there's problems in their relationship. But I really feel like they could have done a better job, especially with this conversation. Because... He responds as though he's listening, Mm -hmm. but the tone of his response is that he doesn't care. So I'm just like, how about we just don't have him listen to her? Because I feel like that is a better argument for them not having a good relationship. Because at first he says, oh, what did you do today? And she starts to say, oh, I went out riding my horse. And he like interrupts her to tell something that happened at his work. And so you're like, oh, he's like an asshole who always yeah. like, fills in. But then he, he stops and he catches himself and he says, sorry, you were riding your horse today and what yeah. happened? And then she explains the rest of the story. He's like, oh, okay. So he's not even that shitty yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just bad writing because no doctor would ever say to their doctor spouse that internal bleeding is bad. Like that was new <laughs> information. She asks if they can go out to dinner and he's reluctant because Prudence already cooked them a full meal and he has to work tonight. But he relents. Right. So once again, he kind of looks like the good guy here. Yeah. And she doesn't really have he a good He cares idea. about their employee. Right. He, he has work that needs to get done, but he agrees to go out with he her. He even apologized for being late. Yeah. And, and he really seemed excited about what Prudence had made. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he's like, oh, marvelous. <laughs> like, he really wants to stay home. Yeah. But uh, Prudence agrees to freeze the meal since it was already cold anyway. At dinner, Evelyn brings up their first date, and Walter describes it in very unromantic terms. She says that he seduced her, implying she misses the effort from him. But as he recalls, he had stuff to do the next morning, and he thought that having sex with her would get her to leave, but it didn't work. Sex was the only way I could get you to leave. But it it didn't work. You were insatiable. I was insatiable. Mm -hmm. When he notices she's upset, he asks her what's wrong, and she gives the badly written cartoon wife answer of, if you have to ask, I'm not going to tell you, which here is code for, the writer couldn't decide why she's upset, but these characters need to break up to fit the premise I was assigned. This was infuriating. Yeah. I mm-hmm. th- Like, as good as our last movie was written, this is bad, you yeah. know? I feel like this is just so clearly written by a man who just yep. assumes that... Well, women are crazy, and they get upset for no reason. Yeah, so there's, there's no rationale behind it. I don't actually have to have a reason for her to say something like that. <laughs> and she'll immediately shack up with the younger men, because that's what women do. Yeah, yeah, they're always doing that. A few more doctors interrupt their dinner and discuss an upcoming seminar. When they leave, Evelyn reminds him that they had plans to argue over vague grievances at Delmonico's Lodge that weekend, and now he's double booked. He offers to reschedule their getaway, and she just gets up to walk away from the table. At home, in bed, he moves in for the lovemaking, but she says that she forgot and rolls away from him. The next day, Evelyn checks on Mr. Plunkett and asks to check his wound. He is flirting with two nurses simultaneously when she gets there. 
He tries to convince her that he doesn't go after ladies indiscriminately and asks when he can see her again and she shuts it down immediately. Walter calls from the conference to speak with his wife, but she's in the shower. Instead of offering to call back, he says that he'll just sit here on hold for five minutes and Prudence literally walks into the bathroom to tell Evelyn that there's a phone call. Well, see, I feel like they're... I, I, this movie is so it makes me so angry. They're trying to make him seem like such a good guy. Yeah. And you're like, well, I've been, I've been patient. I've been trying. I, you know, like I, I called just to say hi for yeah, my conference. I'll, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make up for all of this stuff. And, and it's literally something that Jill Clayburgh pointed out in our last movie as a sign of how great their parents' marriage was that her mom would just run into a phone booth and call her husband yeah. to say hello, not because she, she needed anything. And that's what he, that's literally what he's doing right here. He doesn't need anything from her. He just wanted to say hi. But by the time she gets out of the bathroom and to the phone, he's being pulled away by doctors. And he's saying to her on the phone, I'm sorry, I'm I'm being pulled away. I'll, I'll call back as soon as I can. But instead of responding to anything that he's saying, she's just shouting Walter louder and louder into the phone until he hangs up. I would never call this person. Why would you waste a coin calling this person? Plunkett gets into his realty office and he calls Evelyn from his desk. She turns him down for lunch today. And again, for lunch tomorrow, because he just rapid fire asks her on another date. She says she has a date with a horse. The next day, he finds out where she intends to ride, and he meets her there on horseback. Well, I don't think he finds out. He just goes to to where they met. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just like, oh, well, this is where she rides a horse, so I will just go wait to here. Yeah. On a horse. She notices him from far away, but when his horse goes nuts, it tosses him over a bunch of hay bales. And she finds him seemingly unconscious. She moves to check his nuts again because she's a very weird doctor. (laughs) But as soon as his pants are unzipped, he sits up and tells her, We have to stop meeting like this. Oh, you are crazy. You know that. He invites her to lunch again. And she says she's married. And then I kind of liked his response here. He says, Married people have to eat to keep up their strength so they can stay married. (laughs) She laughs and we cut to a full picnic in a field. She says he must have been confident to pack all this food, but he confesses he was prepared to eat it all himself if this didn't work out. They start kissing and she resists at first, but gives in very quickly. We cut to weather girl Stephanie Beck, as played by Susan Sarandon, entering the Century City Medical Building. She's here for an appointment with Walter, but as soon as she sits down, she admits to the false pretenses her appointment was made under and comes right out with it. Her boyfriend is having an affair with his wife. She can't get him to stop seeing other women and hoped that walter could handle it from his end he's very pissed at this accusation and doesn't believe her at all until she mentions how they met he flipped his car and she took him to a hospital that afternoon he has several awkward encounters with evelyn the next day stephanie takes walter out to watch evelyn and greg just frolicking in the surf Mm -hmm. and then rolling around on the beach uh what a garbage date for this nonsense affair (laughs) yeah walter believes her now that he's seen it through his own binoculars and she offers to buy him a drink and they pop in for lunch at what looks like duke's in malibu i think right off pch it's delicious good stuff i've never been there you've never taken me oh shit some dude on a horse is gonna seduce me if you don't take (laughs) care of this relationship she asks how it feels and he unloads all of his frustrations he calls himself a good guy and lists all the examples of why he's good And he tells her that her boyfriend is probably out with a different floozy every night of the week, like all the young people. He claims to be old-fashioned and strictly monogamous, 
when she starts crying and claims monogamy also. I claim monogamy. (laughs) I, too, am a monogamy. He tries to cheer her up with compliments, ending with, I love your hair. It's so funny looking. (laughs) He tells her, it's a good thing that we're both monogamous, and then we cut to a hotel where they have just finished having sex. That night, at home, Evelyn tells Walter about an arthritis article she intends to write distraction-free in Palm Springs this weekend by herself. Even as she says the bad cover story out loud, her facial expressions indicate that she knows he will see right through this. We see Walter move through his hospital, and we hear a page for Dr. Ruggles to pediatrics. Dr. Ruggles to pediatrics. Dr. Ruggles to pediatrics. A likely reference to post-production coordinator Griff Ruggles from the credits. <laughs> I always I always Google the names whenever they say a doctor name in a movie. So I'm like, who on this movie was that? Walter calls the stage where Stephanie works and asks if Greg made any Palm Springs plans this weekend. She says that Greg had to help open another realty office there. Okay, so why, if neither of them are actually going to Palm Springs, did, did they, they, both, they uh, both agree on the same fake story destination? Right. Yeah, that is dumb. <laughs> I didn't even consider that until you said it. Yeah, and why not go to Palm Springs then that's if that's I, where you're well, going to be? That's what I assumed they were doing, and it's not... <laughs> Walter invites Stephanie on a weekend trip to the south coast and as a weather girl she knows that the weather will be very nice but I really wanted it to just be raining the whole time they were there <laughs> like like she's she admits multiple times that she's just guessing a lot of the time yeah. it would be funny if it was just pouring on their whole date are, are are the people who tell you the weather often the ones who figure out what the weather is going think, to be I think typically the person on television pointing at the map and such is a meteorologist with a degree in the weather. So mm-hmm. they at least understand the science of it. I don't know if they're necessarily putting together the entire the outlook. forecast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, two, I can think of two movie uh, references that are the opposite. Where sp- specifically the weatherman, uh, yeah. where Nicolas Cage is a TV weatherman, but he actually knows nothing about the weather. He just reads it. Um, and the other and one is Anchorman, <laughs> I was where Brick Damlin does not know shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another one. I was going to say L.A. Story, right? Where Steve Martin is a weatherman, but uh, he went. He had like an arts degree, right? There's is, also is Phil Connors a weatherman? Yes, he is. Yeah, uh, what, uh, that was the back when IMDb used to do. Uh, maybe they still do them. They have like a daily poll on the front page, and I submitted a poll that made it as one of their daily polls, and it was who is your favorite movie weatherman. Yeah. And it had Phil Connors and Steve Martin and uh, I think Chevy Chase from uh, from Snow Day yeah. and uh, a couple other people. They pull up to the Delmonico Lodge, which is actually the Hotel Del Coronado, which would have played host to at least three films this year if Somewhere in Time hadn't relocated from the book's location to the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island. Mackinac. Mackinac. However, it did serve as the shooting location for almost all of Richard Rush's The Stuntman earlier this year. Which turned them off to movies. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently not enough, though, because they yeah. let this one in. Maybe the, there was like, yes, but you can't come inside. That's why the <laughs> no only interior No soldiers or bullets yeah. or breaking glass or people falling off a roof. Yeah, no airplanes, please. <laughs> if we can keep airplanes off of the hotel. Walter checks in as Walter Wedlock, and we get a montage of him and Stephanie having fun during their stay. I have to say, Susan Sarandon is the only believable character in this whole boresome foursome. Yeah. I, I do like that she's a little bit of like a space cadet. 
Yeah. And like sometimes she'll question what people say because they she takes it too literally. Yeah, but I also like that she kind of like stutters her way through things and she seems like she she just blurts out strange things every once in a while that just make her adorable. My favorite line will come up later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually, Walter and Stephanie encounter Evelyn and Greg in the hotel pool. They all dive in and swim right up to each other under the water, and then they hop out to grab drinks together and joke about the fake names they checked in under. Greg is very uncomfortable with this whole arrangement, but Walter points to it as proof that they are civilized people, that they can act friendly, even in this horrendously awkward situation and that breaks up immediately (laughs) yeah Uh, evelyn insists that this civility can't last forever and that as far as she's concerned it's all over walter says well maybe we should head back up to our room and when he stands up both women stand with him because stephanie assumed that evelyn meant the marriage was over but she meant the affairs were over yeah i was confused by that statement too so she was not alone I was also confused about what this movie was about because going into it, at least having heard the premise, I actually listened. um, (laughs) I assumed that there was going to be like this sort of cat and mouse game or they were going to sort of like almost run into each other or set each other up. Like Mm -hmm. they immediately at the beginning of this film find out about each other's affairs. Like there is no sneaking around about this. There's no, you know, like it's just an immediate reveal and you're like, okay, now what is the rest of this movie about? Yeah. And it turns out it's not sure either. On the way back to the room, Evelyn chews out Walter and calls him perverse because she's a badly written woman. On the car ride home together, Walter asks Evelyn what she sees in Greg, and she says he's interesting and fun. Aside from his inability to drive or ride a horse, uh, I don't see anything interesting about him. I think that's quite an overstatement. He's a very bland, boring person. He just looks like he rolled out of a toothpaste commercial is all he has going for him. Again, like, I think this is written by a man who's just like, well, men are automatically interesting. Yeah. And women automatically have problems with men. She also also says he's done lots and lots of things. What does that mean? (laughs) Which, it's like, he doesn't have any accomplishments. He's he's a realtor. He's basically in an entry-level position at a realty office. Yeah. And... If, unless she means literally he has a lot of sexual experience that's all he has going for him he's done lots and lots of things <laughs> exposition it's like greg, a fortune cookie just add in bed to whatever she says. yeah exactly <laughs> uh in the other car greg asks stephanie what she sees in walter and she says he's intelligent sexy and good looking which are not different answers but is he <laughs> i mean <laughs> by 1980s standards uh i feel like la story is a much better version of this story because i never didn't believe that sarah jessica parker could also be interested in steve martin in that movie yes uh but and making him the weatherman instead means that it's possible that she's attracted in part to his celebrity where in this film neither doctor has any celebrity they're just bitter old people who are just charming by nature of their existence but they're not and so why would these young people at all be interested in there's no reason Unless they're literally just fetishizing bitter old doctor couples. (laughs) Don't kink shame me. Uh, Back at home, (laughs) Greg packs his bags to leave. Uh, She says that she's going to head to bed, and Greg says that he might give her a call in a few days, and Stephanie just says, don't. Don't bother. Uh, At the Kirby home, Evelyn announces that she wants to separate. It seems really dumb to dump your young, hot boyfriend and girlfriend and then decide to separate from each other. You could have just had a nice weekend with with your partners (laughs) that you planned. 
for some reason, he argues this point with her, even though she's been miserable with him the entire movie. He tells her that he will get her to stay. He'll get her anything to keep her from leaving. And she agrees that he probably would do that. Whatever it is. You want violins? Violins? I'll get you violins. Oh, who knows what she needs? She has yet to yeah, express she won't a problem. Say it. She asks him what he wants, but it seems like he's fine with everything he has. He's He hasn't... Uh, made the point that he needs anything she's the only one looking for any kind of a change and he says well i know what you need you want to just lay it out on the table yes you want to step up our sex life okay what? i got that message Damn. everything would have been fine damn you. damn you you're a bastard what is it what did i again the writer refuses to explain what she actually wants but needed them to break up again her initial complaint seemed to be that he doesn't seduce her anymore and that he's always away, so she started having sex with a much younger guy. I think it's a very reasonable conclusion that she's upset that they're not having interesting enough sex. But that's apparently not her problem. So now I'm back to not having any idea what her problem is. Did I miss a scene where she hinted at what her problem was? No, yeah, yes, and she said, if I have to tell you, then... Oh, um, right. So that's what the problem is, that she has to tell him. So if he just pretends like he knows, they'll be fine. But I'm not going to tell you that I know what it is. She packs him a bag and tells him he's leaving, and he just agrees because he's an idiot. We see the tail end of Stephanie's weather report, wherein she shares a bit of trivia about crickets being living thermometers. Did you know that a chirping cricket is a living thermometer? <laughs> well, neither did I, but... Um, if you count the number of chirps every 15 seconds, then you add 37, that gives you the temperature. So if it's below 37 degrees, they must be clicking negative times every 15 minutes. <laughs> they are dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They die at 37 degrees. Uh, and there's no temperature lower than that. Well, anyway, that's what they told me. Are you sure? Anyway, <laughs> I just love the delivery of that line where she's like, thinks that the anchors are making fun of her because yeah. they're like laughing off camera. Well, and the, what was it like? One of the things like on there was like Fall zero humidity nada. I mean, that means no humidity. Um. <laughs> uh, after the broadcast, she sees Walter in the studio. She invites him to her place to eat and does a funny laugh thing on their way out when he accepts. She's like. <laughs> It just, uh, I enjoyed it. Plunkett arrives at Evelyn's home. Evelyn shows Greg to the room that they will share. In Stephanie's apartment, Walter shows her how to remove a brain tumor using a cheeseburger. <laughs> uh, he's not using a cheeseburger as like a scalpel. He's removing the tumor <laughs> from a cheeseburger, pretending it's a head. Yeah, I, I was uh, particularly like this. This scene got to me because it was lunchtime and I was very hungry, and those burgers looked amazing. <laughs> And I was just like, I don't want to leave the house to go get a burger. But it's so a I ate my dad's head. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it's a stupid, pointless story. But I just <laughs> want to say that I really wanted a burger after watching this. But scene. I like when he takes the tumor out and he just eats it. And she's disgusted by this. We see a montage of Evelyn Greg dates. And they seem like perfectly normal dates for 15-year-olds to go on. They're in bumper cars, they're buying hot dogs at a fairground, and then Evelyn tries to swallow a foot-long hole for some reason. Foot-long hot dog. Sure. Just, just to be I'm clear. I'm just describing the scenes between the scenes. <laughs> uh, they have more sex that night. 
if we cut out every scene with Walter's dumb secretary, uh, that would be great because it's just the same dumb doctors have bad handwriting joke every fucking time she shows up. And that really is obnoxious to me that he complains about her earlier as being like the worst secretary in the world. But no, they're he- talking about a different doctor's secretary. Oh, he's saying okay. that his is pretty efficient. Oh, I thought he was saying that his wasn't, which is why he didn't have his appointments booked right or something like that. No, I don't think he even looked at his appointment book before he agreed to that seminar. Um, but uh, Stephanie and Walter sit in a jacuzzi, and Walter pokes fun at a rubber ducky floating around. Stephanie says it was a signal from Greg that he wanted jacuzzi sex. Whenever he needed sex, he would just float that across the pool. Walter speculates about what Evelyn and Stephanie find so appealing about Greg, and this leads to a very bizarre moment. He says, well, whatever it is, may it grow small and shrivel up and fall off. And then she takes like two seconds to respond to this mm-hmm. comment. And she says, uh, Walter, that's very funny. You're very funny. Really? Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's just his joke wasn't funny or anything, but I don't know why it took her so long to react if she actually thought that. And then his response is so disingenuous. It's just very it's a weird moment. She informs Walter that Greg has moved into his house and Walter starts strangling the duck and then throws it into the bushes. And she says, I really wish you hadn't done that to the duck, Walter. <laughs> that is my line. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> she, she's looking out over the over the edge of the hot tub towards where he threw the duck. It's like, I, I really wish you hadn't done that to the duck. <laughs> Next, we get a prolonged and extremely uncomfortable dance scene with Evelyn and Greg. Dance is a strong word. They are moving. Uh, Greg is just snapping. That's his dance. That's his only move. Yeah, for the whole scene. It reminds me of the club scene in Knocked Up when Seth Rogen just keeps doing the same dance all night. And then you have Bearshell and uh, Jonah Hill on the sidelines. And he's like, dude, I think he's doing the dice thing too much. That's really all he's got. Uh, Evelyn is wearing a pink shirt that says, dance your buns off, doctor. But it's like a hundred times too big. So it makes her look like her boyfriend's great aunt. It could not have cost an exorbitant amount of money to hire dance instructors for this scene, but the director saw what they were doing and just kept filming it for like three minutes of screen time. Now, this really bothered me, and then when I looked it up, it turns out they did have a dance instructor who was teaching her how to dance awkwardly because the point of this scene is supposed to be that she doesn't know how to dance and he's teaching her, but neither one of them knows how to dance. Well... I mean, she's successful at looking awkward. Yeah. But I didn't realize that he was supposed to be the expert here. I didn't either. And I don't think we're given that indication in the entire movie. Outside, Walter watches the house until police pull up to ask for ID. They verify with his license that that they verify with his license that this is his house and they tell him that he can hang out for 15 more minutes but then he has to go inside. I don't think that's a rule. <laughs> I could sit in my car outside my house all day if I feel like it. But also, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe in 1980 it's a little different, but just because it's your house, I would not assume that you have any right to be there. That's true. You know, in, in, in that you could have been divorced, like yeah. you 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 could have it, been separated you could be here to murder the guy that your wife is awkward yeah. dancing with it begs the question why aren't you in your house yeah but they don't ask it walter goes inside to collect some things and the encounter between the three of them plays out like a bad improv scene hi evelyn hi i guess i uh i should have called first yeah it would have been nice 
Well, I, I was on my way to Stephanie's and I saw the lights on. I thought you wouldn't mind. No, I don't mind. It's all right, Walter. Don't mind. What do you want? Well, I, I, I wanted to pick up my extra bike. I've missed it a lot. Yeah, I know. You're real fond of it. I know it. What? I know how fond you are of it. Yeah. It's in the bedroom, just where it always was. Greg doesn't use it. Well, I'll right. just go pick it up then. Right. It's like, there's nothing interesting about this discussion. It could have just been like Exerbike and walked past them. But this whole scene happens. It feels like in the performance, everyone kept forgetting their lines, but it's all just one take and they were like, fuck it. Uh, in the bedroom, Walter finds Greg and Evelyn's clothes just thrown all over the floor. Walter rolls his bike out and Evelyn brags about her dumb shirt. Walter suspects that her next gift will be a rubber duck and then apologizes if he spoiled the surprise. The next day, Greg hosts a walkthrough with a rich lady named Mrs. Liggett, played by Sally Kellerman. She asks to see the bedrooms and then asks him to test the bed with her, and they immediately have sex. Later, they hear the owner entering the home, and Greg rushes to get dressed while Mrs. Liggett hops in the shower. Come on, get dressed. I have to take a shower. What? I have to take a shower after. I always take a shower. Mrs. Liggett? I have to take a shower! Downstairs, Greg is mostly dressed and tells the owner that a potential customer is trying out the shower to decide. She's very confused why this woman would try the shower when she doesn't live here yet and isn't making an offer yet. But I feel like he could have said something about like she wanted to test the water pressure. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. That's, that's a really exactly common thing thinking. when you're buying a house. Yeah. Like why isn't he just saying that? He's a realtor. He would know this term. Yeah. But he doesn't, he doesn't try to explain it any better than she wanted to take a shower for some reason. And she's like, okay, well, I guess. Also, this scene has absolutely no consequence. Like, I understand you need to have the scene of them having sex to a point, like, of, of him being, yeah, of him cheating on Charlotte McLean. But them almost getting caught for sex, like, by this, by the owner, has no bearing on anything. It, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything. And there's no stakes in this at I all. I guess the stakes are his job. If he gets caught having sex in the house, that he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be employed at that realty office. Right. But I don't care about his job. That's yeah. the problem because he's not a character that we care about. So even if she walked in and caught them having sex, then we would just be like, "Oh, that happened." <laughs> Who knows? Back at his realty office, Greg asks a coworker to take over Miss Leggett's account because it's getting out of hand, and this coworker knows about his flirtatious ways and asks, well, what should I tell her? Make it final. Uh, tell her I died. She'll understand why. I don't know what that means, she'll understand why. At Stephanie's place, she comes home from work and puts on some music while Walter's trying to do paperwork in the den. He's very distracted by the music and her food, so she offers to turn the music off, even though he says, oh, you don't have to do that on my account, it's fine. Uh, but she turns it off, and they get to talking about her job, and he encourages her to try for something more, specifically reporting on location, potentially on the way to an anchor position or something like that. Greg and Evelyn pop into a clothing store where Greg runs into Mrs. Liggett. He tells her that he's here with someone, but she's so relieved that he's not dead that she keeps trying to kiss him. Uh, when Evelyn moves into the changing rooms to try on a parade of hideous gowns, Mrs. Liggett begins speaking with Greg from a rack of clothes, and he has to bury his face in the rack to respond to her until the saleswoman notices his weirdness. Eventually, he gets her to stop talking, but when he sits back down to wait for Evelyn, we get one last line from this rack of clothes. I'll miss you. Again, there's no payoff to this. Yeah, because yeah, the they don't get caught here. Yeah. yeah. We cut to a remote reporting gig 
for Stephanie, who speaks from a nudist volleyball game on the beach. She's a little flustered, but no more flustered than she is for her normal weather reports. When she gets home, she wants to ask Walter how her segment looked on television, but he missed it. I guess he fell asleep. She's pretty upset about it. Now, uh, when we watch Fade to Black, she she complains about all his video cassettes. Yeah. So video players mm-hmm. must have existed. Yeah. And but if you have to think ahead to record it. Yeah, but yeah. and they and they seem like they're they, a pretty they knew wealthy. Ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it seems like they're like a pretty well-off group of people who would have. Yeah. A VCR, like I mean, some they, new piece of maybe technology. not at her house. They weren't. I mean, it's probably a couple years before they're, a, you know, an item that every household has because yeah. they just uh, started, you know, becoming prevalent in the late 70s. So, I mean, in 1980, you might not have one in your house, even if you're wealthy. That's possible. But either way, he missed it because he literally just fell asleep. Like, he sat up and watched the news even to get to her program and fell asleep before it came on. So, again, we're making it like... Oh, he did this thing to make her sad, but really he didn't do anything wrong other than not set an alarm to wake himself mm-hmm. up. But he didn't know when her segment was going to be on anyway. He watched some of the news and he tried to watch her segment, but he missed it. We cut to Evelyn and Greg in the bathroom getting ready for the benefit that we learned earlier that Evelyn will be hosting. Everybody's going to be there that we've seen so far. At the benefit, the couples find each other and exchange mildly uncomfortable introductions. Apparently, it's been some time since they'd seen each other. Uh, Evelyn's bearded assistant, Alan, takes her away to discuss things. I didn't recognize him on the first pass, but I noticed his name in the credits (laughs) and was excited to figure out who Alan was on my second pass. (laughs) But this is John Delancey, and he's wonderful. You you can't really tell by looking at him because he's fully bearded yeah really thick beard but uh but you can hear it you can hear yeah. his voice <laughs> i almost wondering what else he was, i should have looked up and see what else he was around doing that time. around that time because to, to warrant such a beard yeah greg suggests they all get drinks together and walter just gives him their drink orders like he works here or something uh walter and stephanie go sit with another couple at the party but quickly walter is called away for some reason and abandons stephanie at the table Greg runs into Mrs. Liggett at the benefit. What is she doing here? Mrs. Liggett. Charlotte. Charlotte? What are you doing here? My husband's a proctologist. This is not an accident. It's fate. Uh, it, it, it could just be an accident. No. No? Greg reminds her that he has spoken for and that he's not a serial cheater. He asks why she doesn't try to find someone else or maybe just her husband. And she says, He's kidding. <laughs> Greg and Stephanie reconnect near a fountain, and he kisses her. Mrs. Liggett sees this happen and is upset, because as far as she knows, this is a just another random girlfriend. Alan tells Evelyn that the benefit has been very successful. Walter overhears this and moves to congratulate her. He invites her to dance, and as they get started, she mentions a sizable donation from the state senator whose life Walter saved. The music on the dance floor gets very disco-y, and Evelyn and Greg take center stage. Stephanie would like to dance also, but this is not Walter's speed. He seems pissed off by the spastic dancing on the stage and shouts something as he walks away from the dance floor, but we can't hear it because the shot is muted for some reason. I don't know why they did that. I think that they're also supposed to be dancing well here. Like people are impressed by it? Yeah, I think people are supposed to be being impressed. But again, it doesn't look especially great. Yeah, it looks more like the crowd is spreading out so they don't get hit. Yeah. 
then because they want to get a better look at what's happening and the dancing that they're doing just looks really cheesy like at one point she sticks her leg totally out the slit of her dress it just does like this shimmy with her leg out and it's not sexy and it doesn't look like (laughs) a coordinated dance and but the one that she keeps doing that drives me crazy that looks the most awkward is when she just puts her arms up and just like bends back and forth like a banana (laughs) it's like i don't know what you're doing it looks so weird bent ones (laughs) Do they grow straight somewhere? I thought they had arms in the air. (laughs) Yeah, all my bananas have arms. (laughs) The next day, Mrs. Liggett makes an appointment with Evelyn, which is not unlike the appointment that Stephanie made with Walter earlier. She's here to confess to her affair with Greg and to announce a new affair with his girlfriend, who she saw him with at the benefit last night. Evelyn doesn't believe any of this until she's able to identify a scar on his upper thigh. Uh, because she is intimately familiar with him. Presumably this is the scar from flipping the car earlier. I thought it was weird enough that that somebody booked a medical appointment to tell somebody that their significant other was cheating on them. And Mm. then it happened again. And then it happened again with a different character. It just... And a different doctor. And a different doctor. Yeah, it just didn't feel like... It didn't feel like good writing. It's like, okay, this is just overly coincidental. It's weird. Yep. It's just bad writing. But no Razzie nomination for this one. Nope, not at all. (laughs) That's because nobody saw it. As much as this story is completely believable, I feel like in Evelyn's position, I would assume that Walter sent this woman with this information because Walter knows about the scar, and he's probably just trying to get them to break up. That makes sense to me. That's not what she assumes is happening here. That night at home, Greg wants to share the good news about a house he sold, but she can't get excited. Evelyn sits Greg down to break it off, and he sees it coming and asks, Are you saying what I think you're saying? Which is very similar to something we heard from Charles Grodin in our previous film. She tells Greg that she heard from Mrs. Leggett, and she knows about the affair. If it's even an affair, when the guy you're cheating on your husband with is also cheating on his girlfriend with a third lady. Evelyn insists to Greg that they see life in two completely different ways, but they seem pretty much the same to me, these two (laughs) characters. Uh, Greg doesn't seem that upset about getting kicked out, just surprised. Well, I'll be damned. We head to a movie theater where Stephanie buys a ticket from the booth and meets Walter in line. Uh, As they approach the front of the theater, Stephanie drops some hard truth on Walter, namely that in reality they don't love each other. As the line moves past a poster for Halloween, I'm reminded of the last time we saw this poster, just before a mummy punched a hole through it (laughs) and fade to black. Walter says that they can talk more about breaking up after the movie, but when they get to the front of the line, Stephanie confesses that she only bought one ticket, and she goes inside, and he's just stranded out there. Greg goes to visit Stephanie on set, and when she notices him, she moves to talk to him. Stephanie tells Greg about an upcoming report she's locked down. She's going to be in charge of all aspects. Greg thinks that's great, and he invites her to dinner, but she says, nope. Back at the hotel, having broken up with his wife and girlfriend, Walter checks in and demands a room with large light bulbs. <laughs> like, there's a whole, like, running gag about how he hates light bulbs that are, like, environmentally friendly, so yeah. he buys his own shitty light bulbs. You get it. He's old. He yeah. can't see. It's not uh, funny. Yeah. He bumps into Greg, though, in the lobby here, and Walter makes fun of him for finally getting dumped. Greg reaches for Walter at some point in their disagreement, and Walter flips into this bizarre kung fu stance, ready to kick Greg's ass here in the lobby. Greg is actually terrified by it and invites Walter to drink to break up the fight. 
They both get sloppy drunk in a hotel bar, and Greg tries to give Walter advice on winning his wife back. He says, you got to toss out that schedule book. You got to throw that right out the window, and you got to break into her office or something. Walter shoots down the suggestion as crazy. Greg continues, dance with her. Buy her dresses and rip them off of her. Interesting that Greg doesn't ask for any advice from Walter in winning Stephanie back. Not that he would give it, even. We cut to Evelyn wrapping up a work day and leaving her office looking depressed. She gets stuck in shitty Century City traffic when suddenly Walter appears in the next lane over on a horse. Evelyn just cracks up at this. She's basically laughing for the whole scene. And Walter says, I'm still in love with you. Uh, Let's get back together. And we end on the image of a horse and car moving through traffic side by side. That's the end of the movie. Yep. That's the big yeah finale that's the that's the giant moment that we were building towards he finally figured out the code and the code was i just want you to fucking ride a horse in traffic you idiot <laughs> yeah I don't. what know. a dumb I, finish i don't know what she wanted and i don't know how this satisfies it yeah th- they're gonna be miserable and want to break up again immediately yes our director here was jack smite he directed a few solid <laughs> Twilight Zones. Smite. That <laughs> that smite. Made this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like we were all smited. We were all smooth. Uh, he directed a few solid Twilight Zones, including The Lonely, with the guy living on the asteroid with a robot wife. It's a great one. Yeah. He also directed uh, a House of the Future story called The Lateness of the Hour, and he directed The Night of the Meek. That's the Santa oh, one that we yep. always talk about. Yep. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, he moved primarily into feature films with highlights like Rabbit Run, Airport 1975, and Damnation Alley. Writer Martin Donovan, this was his debut screenplay for film, uh, <laughs> he has mostly TV credits, but also he wrote Death Becomes Her. <gasps> what? How does this come from the same person as Death Becomes Her? What happened? That's so much better. Good job, Martin. I'm glad that you decided to go back to school or whatever happened. <laughs> Shirley MacLaine was Dr. Evelyn Lucas Kirby. She's Aurora Greenway in terms of endearment. She's Fran Kubelik, the elevator girl in the apartment. She's Weezer Boudreaux in Steel Magnolias. And Catherine Richelieu, basically Mrs. Robinson, in The Graduate 2, a.k.a. Rumor Has It. She comes back later this year for a totally different film, also from Fox, called A Change of Seasons, which tells the story of a husband and wife engaging in dueling affairs that lead to the four of them staying at a lodge for a weekend to prove that they can be civilized what same studio released two shirley mclean movies with the exact same log line <laughs> james coburn was dr walter kirby we had him earlier this year as nick casey world famous pool player in the baltimore bullet i always think first of Derek flint from our man flint and in like flint the original austin powers movies that weren't trying hard enough to be parody films. Uh, he's also Sedgwick, the manufacturer in The Great Escape. He's Brit in The Magnificent Seven. He's the voice of Mr. Waternoose in Monsters, Inc. He plays Cuba Gooding Jr.'s father, biological father, <laughs> in a little film called Snow Dogs. And he's also Justin Fairfax, uncredited for some reason, in Payback with Mel Gibson. Yeah yeah uh, and it's, it's a huge role i it, don't know why it would be uncredited yeah it's 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 strange that he's uncredited for that because uh it's clearly it's not like you maybe you don't know it's him yeah it's he's like front and center him. and i like he's always complaining about like them scuffing his boots or them yeah putting holes in his briefcase the alligator skin and everything i, I still need to watch the other cut of that um because apparently it's like a totally different movie oh interesting 
Susan Sarandon played Stephanie Beck. She was Louise in Thelma and Louise. She's Annie Savoy, or Annie Savoy, in Bull Durham. She's Sister Helen Prejean in Dead Man Walking. She's Janet in Rocky Horror, Mom in Speed Racer, Sharon in Jeff Who Lives at Home, and she played Lynn Onkman on 30 Rock. She was the high school teacher and imprisoned lover of Judah Friedlander's character, Frank <laughs> Rossitano. Um, she's, also, <laughs> she's also the voice of the spider in James and the Giant Peach. Uh, and more recently, she's played Betty Davis on Betty and Joan, feud Betty and Joan. Stephen Collins played Greg Plunkett. He was Reverend Eric Camden in Seventh Heaven. He played Decker in Star Trek One. Yeah. He was Bruce Mathis, the father of Dee and Dennis on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And he basically stopped working when he confessed to committing sexual assault against multiple minors. But lucky for him, never went to jail or anything. Uh, he's a monster. Fuck this guy. Or don't, actually. Uh, oh, but he went on to go, like, move to Iowa and marry, like, a 34-year-old, like, fan of his. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds exactly right. <laughs> Sally Kellerman was Mrs. Liggett. Love Sally Kellerman. She's great. This is our fourth Sally Kellerman for the for the podcast this year after Foxes and Serial in 1980 and MASH in 1970. She's also Dr. Diane Turner in Back to School and Mark Maron's Mom on his sitcom. I think... Sally and Susan are the ones that are really pulling their weight in this movie. Yeah, I just, I'm not a fan of her character in this. I'm not a fan of her character in most of the movies I've seen of her. I, I guess her as the mom in Foxes, you, you get a yeah. little bit yeah. more of She's more sympathetic there. I guess that's true. But I still. But either way, even when she's playing a cartoon of a person, she really leans into it in a fun way. Like, I really enjoyed the scene with her talking through the clothes at the clothing store and just being a weirdo. And she's like, everything is so breathy and sensual, everything that she has to say. <laughs> she just cracks me up. Uh, Nan Martin was Walter's nurse. She plays Mrs. Baxter. Uh, she played Mrs. Baxter earlier this year. That was the mother of the non-Leonardo da Vinci character in Small Circle of Friends. Uh, she's also a nun in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. She plays Helen Hunt's mother in Castaway. Bernard Behrens played Elegant Doctor. Anybody want to guess which doctor was elegant in this movie? <laughs> uh, he played Robert Lingstrom in The Changeling and the real doctor in Resurrection earlier this year. Uh, he's also James Gladstone in The Man with Two Brains and Commander Ilvar of Galaxy of Terror next year. John DeLancey played Alan. He was Q on Star Trek The Next Generation. He's Ted in Multiplicity. He's Donald Margolis on Breaking Bad. And he plays Discord yeah. on My Little Pony, Friendship <laughs> is Magic. I love this. Have you watched any of that, Richard, My Little Pony? Uh, I have seen some, yeah. But have you, probably seen, here. Have you seen a Discord episode? <laughs> probably not. He's, His character is Q. He's just playing it's Q amazing. as a pony. <laughs> I and it's really funny. It. <laughs> but he he does magic stuff. He plays tricks on people. Mm. He can disappear and reappear. It's really fun. And and he's just like this, uh, you know, unapologetic spreader of chaos, which is just, it, it just it makes me so happy that I could watch a show with my children where I'm like, it's Q yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> um hap lawrence played the nudist from the volleyball game this was his fourth of five roles this year after a sergeant in nude bomb a blind guy in holy moses and a mechanic in coast to coast we'll see him next in altered states which is one of our very last films this year that's everything i had for cast and crew Ooh, 
This was edited by the editor of Die Hard, Basic Instinct, RoboCop, Deep Blue Sea. Who's the editor? His name is Frank Eritz. I can't pronounce this. How's it spelled? U-R-I-O-S-T-E. Eurosty? Sure. Let's go with Eurosty. Ariosty? I don't know. Ariost? Anyways, he's got he's got a pretty he did conspiracy theory, lethal weapon four, tombstone, cliffhanger, total recall. This is a, this guy has got some credits. That's pretty cool. Uh, I wanted to bring up one of one of the cops. I don't know which cop. Okay. Um, uh, the Sam Wiseman cop. Yeah, yeah. He's a um, he was the one that went to the window. Okay. And um, and was, and was talking to the guy. He was not the one in the cop car, but he's a he's a director. Yes. Yeah, he directed the, some of the Mighty Ducks movies. Oh, really? Uh, he directed uh, like a lot of TV. Uh, George of the Jungle, the Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Uh, and the the remake of Out of Towners. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's cool. I totally missed that. Anyway, we didn't like this movie. It's definitely a thumbs down for me. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of the characters work the way they're supposed to. Uh, How dare you speak for us? <laughs> no, it's a down. It's three thumbs down. It's three. It is three. Um, the poster of this movie doesn't make any sense either. No, yeah. it, you I have mean, to read the oh tagline. I mean, I guess they're acting like children, but yeah. like, what? Okay, what is? Why the do they call it adultery if the, if it ah. makes you act like children? Okay, then the ta- okay the tagline I guess helps the fact that the poster they're standing in a all four of them are standing in a crib. Yeah. with blocks spelling out loving couples, but yeah, like I don't feel like that fits the theme of the no, movie at all. Not at all. It just. It just reflects the tagline. <laughs> yeah, because um, that implies someone's gonna have a baby. Now you could yes, put them. You could put them. Put them in a playpen, maybe. Even a playpen. Or why or, or introduce a swing set or children something. stuff? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Why make it a kid thing? It, no, it just you don't have to have it be the four people having sex on a poster. Be like just uh, having nothing sex personal, but you we multiply the yeah. number of people on that poster. It's like uh, it's like human centipede but there's four people and you just connect the back <laughs> one to the front what no that's <laughs> hu- human ouroboros yeah it's called exactly. ouroboros How did we get what here? it's called ouroboros no i no, don't think that's, that's right not what I was <laughs> <laughs> i'm ouroboros i've written myself into the screenplay <laughs> it's solipsistic and pathetic i'm pathetic yeah it's a bad movie yeah, I um I feel like in order to enjoy this movie, you have to have watched all of James Coburn and Shirley MacLaine's movies from the 70s very recently and to think of them as being attractive on any level to a regular person. And because we're coming at it from the opposite side where Shirley MacLaine only ever played people's great-grandmothers in my <laughs> life. Yeah. I I cannot see her in this position although she is completely 100 percent adorable in the apartment mm-hmm. but here she's dressing the way she does now yeah and looks the same to me as she does now so it's very weird and james coburn is is not as charismatic as i mean i, f- I feel like i literally said oh come on james coburn's charismatic in the baltimore bullet review but <laughs> He's not he's not charismatic enough to bring down Susan Sarandon. He can use it on like a dumb blonde in a bar, but he can't yeah. use it on this character who's actually pretty smart. 
Well, and I just don't get his appeal in this movie to her, but I also don't get, like, I don't get the vibes from him that match his dialogue. Yeah. Because I feel like they're trying to make him... He's almost like a fatherly figure to her that has sex with her occasionally. Yeah, and I feel like they're trying to make him not the bad guy the whole time, but he just feels icky still. Yeah. Even in his affair, he's literally just coaching her to get a better life for herself to the point that she outgrows him. And that's the end of their relationship. But I still don't understand completely why Shirley MacLaine left her boyfriend unless she's literally just mad that he had sex with this one lady. Because she says, oh, that's not it. I don't care at all about Mrs. Liggett. And it's like, what do you care about then? What did he do that upset you other than have sex with this other woman multiple times? It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. They never they never make her a real character. I'm hoping that the reason that Fox had the confidence to put another movie in theater starring Shirley MacLaine in this situation is because the other one was very competently made. And I think they thought this was more of a screwball comedy than it was. Yeah. It just feels awkward when it's supposed to be funny. Um especially the whole dancing scene really drove me crazy. Yeah. Um but I think that's everything for this one. We said we said down, down, down. Uh, what are you doing letterbox-wise, Jess? Letterboxed. I have it pretty low. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I have it at 122. Okay. Because it's infuriating and I never want to watch it again. It is below He Knows You're Alone and above Stunt Rock. All right. Richard, where's this going? I have it at uh, 13. What? Oh, sorry. 113 uh which puts it below oh god 2 and above stunt rock oh we both have it right above stunt rock i have it (laughs) a a slightly more infuriating movie than this one yeah that's the rule oh no i just think it's slightly less of a movie than this one yeah um i have it in 128th place uh, it is just above Up the Academy, which made me angrier to watch. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. But it is just below The Hearse, which I would happily watch if I found these two DVDs of the street. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Up the Academy is the one that I have below Stunt Rock, so yeah. it's not far from yeah. from your that one either. Yeah, Up the Academy... If we if we ever get to like kind of tweak these lists and and adjust it, up the academy it, needs to go down more. Well, up the academy is second to last, and I think I might just push it down to last. What's in last right now for Caligula. you? Nothing personal. Oh really? Caligula yes. moved up. Oh, Caligula is quite a ways up at this point. Yeah, it's in our top ten now. No. <laughs> How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't our tenth movie, um, so that's impossible. Uh, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Motel Hell which IMDb describes like so. A seemingly friendly farmer and his sister kidnap unsuspecting travelers and bury them alive, using them to create the special meat they are famous for. Hmm. We leave you now with the trailer for Motel Hell. One after another they come. 
Just in time for Halloween. 